committed for your approval. Episode 288 of the Not Showing Consistent Growth, Only Posting Our Episodes When They're Reminded, that kind of shit. Barry Rose, are you ready for episode 288? We're getting towards that magic 300 number, my man. So after this week, we are essentially, we're three months, give or take, we're three months, we're 12 That's episodes. about what we're looking at. That's about what wow. we're looking at. So, yeah, All right. So after that, you can only get to us via Patreon. Barry, would you happen to know who I meant that message for? A certain person? I was going to get, let's see. Uh, lives in Florida. Lives in F- South Florida. Yeah. Big fan of. Oh, uh, uh, no, no, no. Let's not uh, go any further, but you know exactly who I'm talking about. Still, by the I way, did. not a Patreon subscriber. Right. So, you know, as that person is listening to this probably two weeks from now, because I don't think he listens on a regular basis, uh, he'll go, oh, fuck, are they talking about me? No, they can't be talking about me. Yes, we're talking about you on this particular episode. Episode 288 of Breaking Cafe with Bowdrin and Barry. We're going to be discussing a few things like, for instance, Barry, the top 10 most underrated James Bond characters. No, we're not talking about James Bond himself. We're talking about people that were in different James Bond movies who, according to this article, were underrated. You and I will, uh, you know, give it the old uh, spit take up. That's a spit take. And, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll go back and forth on that. We have our match of the week. Our match of the week, Barry, I know you'll be intrigued. Tell the folks you're intrigued. I could be no more intrigued, Jeff. Thank you, Barry. I appreciate that. Uh, we are going to be talking about someone that we mentioned last episode because we try to stay a little timely. Oh, all right. Yes, Barry, for the first time in the history of breaking kayfabe with Baudrin and or Barry, we are doing a Roman Reigns match. Boom! Right there, Barry. Wow. That's right. We are going back to last year. For oh, was it last year or two years ago? Anyway, uh, that's what happens when you forget to mark the date on your notes. Yes, it is the match between Roman Reigns versus Edge versus Daniel Bryant, a three-way dance. Barry Rose, could you be any more enthused about reviewing a match? I mean, you know, we talked about last week. We reviewed maybe one of the best. Women's matches, maybe one of the best wrestling matches of all time. Uh, we did a Daniel Bryanson match a few weeks back against Kenny Omega, Seth Rollins, Tyler Black, whatever they were calling him. We've done some amazing matches here. I know next week's match, which I've already also watched, I will not spoil it. That match is off the charts. However, this match, Jeff, boy, am I excited for a Roman Reigns match. Okay, before we get to the Roman Reigns match, and we also, by the way, will be uh, offering some AEW commentary, as we're wanting to do, and discussing some current WWE events. Oh, Vince is back in charge, Barry. But before we get to all that, I do want to mention, right after we recorded last week's episode, we heard the unfortunate news that one of the New Zealand sheepherders, no, I'm sorry, folks, he's not a bushwhacker to me. He's a friggin' sheepherder. Butch Miller had passed away. Uh, we raised an adult beverage. Barry, Lou, join me, if you will, uh, raising that glass to the memory yes. of uh, Butch Miller, great, great wrestler, great brawler uh, in his days with Luke Williams and, of course, Jonathan Boyd, a guy that we have praised uh, infinitum for his promo abilities. So I want to announce that next week, we will be having a sheep herders match, and I want to thank our friend uh, Jesus Salas Rodriguez. Uh, shout out to you, bro. We appreciate you. Uh, we are going to be doing a sheep herders match for the first time, Barry. We are going to Puerto Rico. 
And we're going to be talking about a sheep herders match in Puerto Rico. And Barry, without going into a lot of detail, that finish is batshit crazy, my man. Oh, it's, it's out of control. It's spectacular too. And you know, there's, uh, to me, the sheep herders were made for certain territories. And I think Puerto Rico, they definitely had a huge impact. I watched the video. Uh, Jesus was kind enough, Jeff, when you requested that he actually recorded a brief video giving us kind of the backstory and what was happening. And you could just hear it in his voice as well. How important the sheep herders were to the promotion. And what did they call them? Los Pastores? Yes, I believe they did. That was the, yeah, but, uh, are you aware of the, the circumstances of Butch Miller's passing and I guess essentially how tragic it was? I am not. Could you fill us in? Yeah. So I guess he had, he'd had health issues for the last several years. Uh, he'd been living in New Zealand, obviously an older guy at this point too. I think he started wrestling in the early to mid sixties. So he's probably in his late seventies. I don't know his exact age, but had been in poor health and, uh, I think was scheduled to come over here. COVID hit, never made it over here, but there was a book that was just released. Uh, and I think John Crowther, our old friend, John Crowther, is involved with that book. So a promoter actually brought him here for WrestleMania weekend. I believe he, he landed. He was fine. He, uh, he may have gotten some new medication or something. And within 24 hours was hospitalized. And within 48 hours, he was dead. So, uh, just, just tragic, the circumstances as well. The only saving grace to any of that. And I say this because his daughter wrote a very heartfelt and rather lengthy Facebook post. And uh, she basically said, you know, she's devastated. Her family is devastated. But it was the first time in person he had seen Luke in many years. And Luke was there with him, I believe, as he was passing away. So, uh, you know, I think we obviously take for granted professional wrestling a lot some of these relationships and you know then you hear a story like this where these two truly did love each other these these weren't just guys working a tag gimmick for the better of uh, their careers these guys actually really cared about each other and luke was there with him at the end that is just extremely touching yeah you know uh, let me just say i i've seen stuff that they've done in in uh in portland which i thought was incredible uh they did some uh really wild over the top stuff uh in San Antonio and in the Puerto Rico, the UWF. I gotta, I gotta be honest with you. I, uh, oh, in Memphis too. Uh, I was not a huge fan of the stuff they did, uh, 86, 87 in Florida. They, they renewed their feud with the Fabs and I was not a huge fan of the stuff they did. Uh, it just, it didn't resonate with me the way that the stuff in, uh, UWF against the Fantastics, which was always great stuff. And, you know, they had the, you know, whether it was, uh, Jack Victory, whether it was Johnny Ace, it was always really, really good things. And when they went to, uh, the WWE, look, I, I get it. They probably made an absolute shit ton of money for becoming this homogenized version of what, you know, they had been their whole career. And I'm always happy when one of the, you know, one or two of the boys, uh, after putting in the work for, geez, uh, you know, probably 10 or 15 years on the road, uh, you know, gets that contract. They get the deal with, you know, they did commercials, they did dolls. I'm sorry, action figures, uh, you know, all that stuff. And they got, they got fucking paid and I'm happy for that. But I, as I said, uh, to me, uh, they'll never be the bushwhackers. They'll always be the friggin' sheep herders. And 
I'm happy to say that next week, uh, you know, not, uh, and I, I'm not shitting on the match we're doing this week at, at all, because it's a really good match. Uh, it's just that we had already decided to do this match. And then we heard about the unfortunate passing of, uh, of Butch. Uh, but I can promise you that next week's match, uh, and the discussion of that is going to be lots of fun because it is a really, really crazy match. And I did want to thank Jesus for that. Barry, before we get to our match of the week and the discussion for that, I also want to mention that today, Barry, I'm sure you got a chance to see the video I posted where what? your name was mentioned. <laughs> did you? So I did not watch. Son of a bitch. How dare you? I know. I, uh, however, apparently from what I was reading though, Jeff, new tournament started in our Facebook group. All right. And I got to go through this. And if you're not a member of our Facebook group, we always say, Jeff, what do we always say? Uh, what the fuck are you doing listening to the show? Uh, well, Pretty I'm sorry. Much. Uh, you know, that it doesn't make funny. sense because the Facebook group is essentially an extension of this show. But Jeff, am I correct? Quentin Tarantino films? Correct. Amundo. So wow. let me just quantify. It's the Barry Rose slash Quentin Tarantino Woo! film festival. Uh, I you know, made it. I, made it. I put you over in a video and you haven't even fucking watched it. I know right. weekend time, <laughs> Barry Rose in Comunicado. But one of the thing I do want to mention is to start off because we are dealing with, you know, the Spielberg, we had fucking what, 84 films or something like that. So there was a long way to go. Tarantino, what we've done is we've incorporated some films, not only that he directed, but films that he wrote, films that he acted in. And what we're doing, much like the NBA playoffs that are currently uh, getting ready to start at the time we're recording this, we're going to have a play in. So, some of the lower uh, ranked Tarantino movies, and I'm going by the IMDb rankings, are going to start off and we're going to have the loser get eliminated. The winner advances to the next playing round against the next uh, highest ranked team until we get to the really, you know, the uh, what do you call your pulp fictions and your inglorious bastards and all that. Hey, they got to earn their way to get to that slot. So uh, if you see a couple movies uh, being uh, in a in a in a poll uh, within the next couple of days, and you're like, why is this film on there twice? And that's why, because uh, they have to get to where they've earned the right to go up against some of the legendary Tarantino films. So, Barry, now that we've talked about that, why don't we discuss the match of the week? We are talking Roman Reigns versus Edge versus Daniel Bryant. Barry Rose, tell the folks what you thought about this match. So you've got, first off, great match. Uh, you've got some real, real heavy hitters here. You've got, uh, you know, you've got Roman Reigns, and I, I think we've said over the last couple of weeks, I'm, I'm a fan of this guy. I wasn't always a fan, but I certainly didn't hate him to the extent that so much of the, the internet wrestling community, I never understood the hate. It was weird. It was almost like it was just a reaction to the fact that Vince was pushing them down everybody's throats, and I think that's where the hate, but you got Roman. You got Edge, right? Edge is uh, as solid as you can get. Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan. How do you how do you do better than that too? You know, you know, you've got some guys. Barry, can, can I just work. interrupt because I didn't. This is from WrestleMania 37, by the way. This was the main event of night two. I apologize. Please continue. Okay, gotcha. What was that? How long ago was that? Uh, was it two years ago? I think two years. Okay, yeah, yeah. It was two. Was it live crowd or was it still? Uh, uh no, there was a crowd there. There were, yeah, so that's that. This was where uh, the COVID stuff was pretty much already done, at the, or at least from the WWE perspective. Thank God, because a match like this, I don't think would have had any impact if there had not been a live crowd. 
uh, or I should say a much lesser impact, but this was a solid match too. And there was great psychology here. And this is where I think a guy like Roman kind of shines in this match because you've got Edge. I'm going to say Edge has got 30 something years probably of experience or at least close to it. And, and, you know, Brian Danielson, he gets praised. Certainly I put this guy over. A million times, but even on AEW television on a weekly basis, you know, the commentators are praising him. Somebody's praising him. The respect level for this guy, and it's obvious why, because he was able to really, I think he was the one responsible for keeping this match together uh, in a lot of ways because it could have gone sideways. I don't know how I never saw this match, though, because until you sent me the link, it was the first time I had ever seen the match. I love it, though. I literally sat there. I didn't blink. And this was the kind of match, Jeff, we talked last week about uh, things that might be embarrassing. And when uh, you've got somebody in the room with you and they may not be a wrestling fan and, and then something comes on that's wrestling related and you get, you go, fuck, <laughs> you know, you're, you're embarrassed. It just sets you back. It's, you know, this setback wrestling years and, uh, I certainly have felt that way about many different people, but this is the kind of match I would show people if they really weren't wrestling fans. I, I don't feel it's, uh, you know, sometimes the stuff in AEW can be a little, it pushes the boundary. And, you know, obviously the WWE, a lot of it can be comical or there's no coherency to it. This is something I would show people. Huge thumbs up for me, Jeff. So let me uh, just give my thoughts here. Uh, I have some thoughts on things that I think are very much a thumbs up and some, uh, some thumbs down. Although I will say, uh, the thumbs down portion is more nitpicky kind of stuff. Uh, first thing I want to say is, you know, uh, Roman Reigns as he is now, and, and I understand he's not a baby face, he's a heel, but do you in some ways equate this, Barry? Remember when, uh, the rock was first breaking out, uh, as a big star and, you know, they were doing the thing where Steve Austin was not perceived as being quote unquote, a corporate champion, uh, yes. for the heel character of Mr. McMahon. Do you think in a lot of ways, as I watched this match, I thought, wow, you know, Roman Reigns, this is exactly what they would mean. And, and I realized that was like, you know, what, 20 years before, but like of what a corporate champion would look like at least events. What do you think? I don't think so. I mean, I think he certainly, he fits the bill, but you know, again, if you're running this company like it's, uh, what it was 30 years ago or 35 years ago, you're gonna, you're gonna fail. Uh, I think we have to evolve with the times and you know, it's, it's somebody like, you look at Darby Allen, right? And do you think in any possible way that a guy like Darby Allen could have gotten over on a national level, not like a, you know, smaller indie or global on ESPN at 3 a.m., but, you know, one of the bigger companies, could a guy like Darby have ever gotten over? And it's not, it wasn't the face paint because face paint back in those days was very, it was kept to guys like the Road Warriors and Sting, Ultimate Warrior. There was maybe a handful of guys. But, you know, Darby Allen's size as well. I don't think we could have predicted where we were going to be 30 years ago. And I don't think a guy like Roman Reigns, certainly, I guess, the physique aspect. But I don't think much else. I don't think uh, they would have looked at that as him being champion. No, I, I guess I didn't make myself clear. What I what I meant well, was. I'm just not that smart, Jeff. It wasn't. Uh, that's the other thing. Uh, what I meant was not that this is a, a 20 year old idea, but, you know, the the, the storyline was was that the rock 
was being presented as Mr. McMahon's idea of a corporate champion. He, you know, he looked good just in the photographs. Sure. He, he wasn't a beer swilling redneck that would flip the finger at his boss. And, you know, now 20 years past that Roman Reigns in some ways, good looking guy. He's got a great physique. He's, he's got a, a quote unquote look to him with the hair, the tats and all that kind of stuff. He, uh, is very solid in the ring. So in that sense, even though it's 20 years past, to me, this guy kind of fits the bill, although that's a 20 year old term of what maybe Vince, you know, when he was talking about the rock as part of the storyline of being his ideal corporate champion, you know, 20 years later, to me, Roman still kind of fits the bill as what Vince's idea of a corporate champion would be more so than some of the other guys that, that he's had his, his champion. I, you know, that's just my opinion. So let's talk about some other things, uh, minor points to quibble about. Boy, did my man Cholminski nail it when he said one of the reasons that he does not like to watch the WWE is the constant use of edits during the uh, production of the match, because literally, I think if they keep the camera on one shot for more than five seconds, you've really got yourself something. Barry, did you notice that? Yeah, but that's all, I mean, to his credit. No, I know. But Eric's but, been saying that for years. Yeah, I noticed it. Yeah, and because I'm not a regular viewer of uh, the WWE product, and like it started, and the two things I noticed were, holy fuck, the edits is like, you know, stay on one shot for more than five seconds. That, and gee, Barry, I don't know if you know this, Snickers was the sponsor of the card. <laughs> yeah, I, I think The signs for Snickers were not, kind, you know, big enough. Now, I will say, you know, I'm saying that mildly sarcastically because obviously if they can get a corporate sponsor, you'd like to think that means that the boys are getting more money. <clears throat> I'm sure they were. But, you know, uh, getting a corporate sponsor, it's funny because, you know, stuff that we've talked about in the past that took place in the 70s early. Oh, my God, to get a sponsorship with a company like Snickers. Can you imagine in the 70s or early 80s, a company like CWF or, you know, Georgia Championship Wrestling getting a corporate sponsorship like that, Barry, how great that would have been for the company. That's a game changer right there. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, so let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the match now. Uh, Roman to me, I saw a lot of punching. I saw a lot of clotheslines. And as I was making notes on the match, Barry, and I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this. To me, it was reminiscent of the way that people used to say, you know, Bruno's a great wrestler. And then you watch a Bruno match and you see a lot of kicking, you see a lot of punching, a lot of stuff like that, you know. And for as much as Bruno liked to talk about what a great wrestler he was, uh, you know, he was, you know, while he was a great representation of a champion, it's not like Bruno was Jack Briscoe in the ring, you know. He wasn't in there doing a lot of uh, collegian style moves. And I'm not shitting on, uh, you know, Bruno or Roman Reigns for not being a collegian style wrestler. You know, Roman's no Kurt Angle. That's not a big fucking surprise to anybody. But it was just something that I noticed for a guy that everyone talks about. You know, Barry has said, oh, yeah, this this guy, he's he's the deal now. You know, he's the guy. And, you know, I mean, and I can appreciate that. It was just something that I took note of. Barry, what is the fucking deal with them not showing chair shots? Like when someone takes a shot to the head, they like stop action and they pause it for like maybe a second or two. And then you see the guy laying on the mat. Do you have any idea what the deal is with that? I, I'm assuming, I mean, they, well, first off, they outlawed, outlawed. They, they made it that, uh, no one should be doing chair shots. If you notice, and 
most of the shots are usually to the back. They're very careful, and I'm assuming it's all the concussion protocols, et cetera, that have been put into place. But it, it, I think it all goes back to the very bizarre way that they – the cuts, the editing, everything. It's it's very disjointed a lot of times to watch the show. Well, and, you know, I, I mentioned when I was talking about the uh, the sheep herders becoming the bushwhackers and becoming this homogenized version of themselves, you know, the fact that, you know, if you're going to ban chair shots – well, then don't have anyone doing fucking chair shots. But the fact you do it, you stop the action, you pause it, and then there's like a one-second delay and you see the guy laying on the mat. That is so friggin' lame. You know, e- even being presented as a homogenized product, to me, you know, I trust me, I, I don't want anyone going out there and bleeding like a stuck pig. You know, I don't want anyone turning, no offense, no one turning into John Moxley and they're bleeding every week. I, I don't need that. But, you know, I, I think... If nothing else, show the chair shot, show the impact. You know, it, it just seems a little on the ridiculous side for them not to show that. Now, one of the things I really did like that they did was when uh, they brought the chair in the ring and they stuck the chair or the yeah. piece of the chair in Roman's mouth uh, as they were doing dueling submissions. I thought that was a really effective move. And I, you know, I kind of popped and I went, holy shit, this is really, you know, a good looking spot. They both have him uh, in a submission hole to see if he would tap out. Uh, that was really good stuff. Uh, there was great interaction with the crowd by the heel. Uh, you know, uh, I thought that where Roman got up, uh, you know, and was kind of egging the crowd on. I think that I thought that was really, really strong so then they end up uh spoiler alert for a two-year-old match where roman not only wins barry he pins both guys so barry rose what did you think about the fact was it putting roman over super strong by having him beat two guys or was it a way of sort of uh devaluing the the two other guys by having them both be pinned by roman what say you I don't think so. I think I think it was putting over Roman strongly as well, too. And if I recall, because this has been a couple of years, he had been working a program with with Daniel Bryan and had beaten Bryan at least once. And I I know that this match somehow played into it. Edge somehow got involved. But the idea, I think, here was that uh, – and, and I know he had a program with Edge as well. The idea was that Roman was on his way to being the tribal chief, that he was on his way to being – you know, the champion of the guy who's had the belt now for almost three years, which, you know, from a longevity standpoint, that's insane. You know, we never see world champions go three years in this country. So uh, a lot of respect for the fact that I think he's successfully been able to do it. So I don't I don't see it as devaluing the other guys uh, because Edge is still there and Edge is still getting wins and still figured in certain programs, etc., Brian has obviously moved on to AEW. I think it was just to get Roman over. All right. So we will post a link to this match in our Facebook group, Breaking Cave Ava Badron and Barry. Hope you get a chance to check it out. It was a match I'd never seen a Roman Reigns match before. Uh, I did enjoy it. It was good stuff. Uh, I chose not to watch, uh, the, uh, the match against Cody because quite frankly, uh, I don't have Peacock. Uh, there was a, uh, a version of the match. That was put up on YouTube that I started watching. And for what this is a very bizarre uh, clip that's out there where you basically see Cody doing his, his entrance. Right. But what happens is they would stop. They would edit the footage, whoever posted this link. And I'm sure it had something to do with copyright violations or something like that. But they would stop like every 10 seconds, pause it, 
and then you would go uh, like five seconds ahead. So like Cody would have walked like 15 feet more and you started noticing in this edit in the first minute of the, uh, of, of the footage. And I was like, I, okay, I can't fucking watch this. I'm going to get a headache. I'm sorry. So, uh, but anyway, I will post a link to this match. I hope you enjoy it. It's definitely worth a look at, uh, at Roman Reigns, uh, and how, uh, how strong he was put over in this match. Uh, and also as Barry said, it's a really good match and it's a good effort by Daniel Bryan and by Edge. Good stuff. We hope you like it. So now, Barry, why don't we talk a little uh, modern as of a couple, eh, like a week or so ago, our thoughts on AEW and WWE currently. So, Barry, let's talk last night's AEW show. Uh, there was some stuff that happened, I think, that uh, is uh, ripe for discussion, as well as Tony Khan's big announcement. Not exactly sure why he had Adam Cole come out and make the announcement. That seemed like <laughs> a little odd to me. You know, if he had somebody like, you know, Will Ospreay come out and make the announcement. Makes sense, yes. Or, or somebody, yeah, but, uh, you know, hey, Adam Cole, oh, we're going to London. Yeah, that was kind of weird. So, Barry, let's talk about some things from last night's AEW First of all, before we get to the big announcement that Tony made, your thoughts on MJF uh, and his Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin routine. What do you think? Oh, so when it first first off, I guess I should say when it first started, as I was watching it, I was it was one of those moments that I was thankful that there was no one else in the room with me. Because it it was it initially coming off as that cringy wrestling moment that would embarrass you if you were around non-wrestling people. And, of course, I referred to the lovely Linda, my girlfriend, Linda. Is she officially a non-wrestling person? She is officially – I'll give her credit, though. She is she is trying at times, but she is trying a Trying to you? Or, there's already problems in the related – Oh, no, no, no. She, oh, she oh you mean uh, she's trying, trying wrestling. Gotcha. She is trying to uh, – and look, she likes it. She likes to be a part of what I'm involved with. But uh, had she been in the room, it was just Ozzy and myself last night. And had she been in the room and I was would Ozzy have Was Ozzy covering his ears with his paws? Ozzy was okay. Ozzy, okay. Ozzy, Ozzy were good with that MJF segment. But I, I think initially, while it was douchey and cringy to me, it definitely got a little better. And you got to give MJF some credit. Uh, he kind of pulled that off, right? Not the greatest voice in the world, but there were moments where, shit, he could actually pull this off, and he did pull it off. I thought that was good. I fully expected what was going to happen to happen at some point. I didn't necessarily see it being a member of the, the band where Jungle, Jungle Jack, Jungle Boy Jack Perry came out still wearing the, the COVID mask to disguise his face and then a cap to cover his hair. It seemed predictable and that was probably my least favorite part of it only because it, it essentially was predictable. But you got to give MJF credit. This was a very unique segment. He did a great job. He's a solid heel. I love the fact that when he's in Long Island, he's the biggest baby face of all time. And we saw that with CM Punk as well. I really, really love that. That's what I expected last night. I thought it was good. If, if I was ranking it on a scale of 1 to 10, I think it's a solid 7 to 8 for me, Jeff. So do you think... Upon reflection, because I know often, Barry, you like to reflect. 
Would you say that the entirety, the song and slight dance routine, the getting up and accepting the award from the mayor, uh, giving, cutting his promo on the woman who was his teacher, apparently, that uh, told him he'd never amount to anything Mrs. in the wrestling Benedict. Picture? Yeah, Mrs. Benedict uh, Arnold, apparently. Uh, yeah. But was that the long way home? Uh, to quote uh, the lovely group Supertramp, they took the long way home to get to having Jungle Boy attack him? Yeah, well, it absolutely so in, was. In other words, it was basically a, a 15-minute setup to just shoot this angle. Yeah, I th- I think it definitely was. But at the same time, I, I think the angle w- didn't pay off as good as the setup was. Because the setup, again, initially I hated it. And then I was like, this is kind of funny. And MJF is actually making this work. You know, we all expected Jack Perry to come out. And then it was kind of weak. And look, we talked about this last week. We've talked about it, uh, Patreon regular show and even off air. Is Jungle Boy the right challenger at this stage for MJF? Maybe he is, but is there anybody in their right mind that thinks that Jungle Boy is going to walk away with the title? And that's, you asked that question. I don't, I still don't, I don't see it at all. So after that, we had Sammy Guevara who, uh, I thought, Cut a pretty damn good promo yes. uh, about some of the the shit that MJF has been pulling behind the scenes uh, and on screen. So let's put it this way: instead of making it a four way match, if you had to have either Darby, Sammy, or Jungle Boy Jack challenging MJF, which one of the three would make the most compelling opponent uh, in the ring and setting up the match? What do you think? Yeah, I think so. It's uh. The only the only problem with Sammy is uh, you're going to do a heel versus heel there. So uh, unless you're planning on doing the show in Long Island <laughs> as a pay per view, where of course MGF's going to be the babyface, uh, you're going to have to you know can you sell a heel versus heel matchup to a national audience? Now I think you know based on both guys' abilities, it'll be a really good match. But is that something you can sell to a national audience? What say you? I don't think so. I don't think you can sell it. Uh, it, it look, Sam, this is not Sammy's time. This is not Jungle. We, we've said this. This is not Jungle Boy's time. Darby Allen is only going to, it is his time essentially, but he's only going to get you so far. I think this is building MJF for the future. I think essentially they are, they're going to line up guys like, uh, like Darby Allen, Jungle Boy, uh, Sammy Guevara to feed to MJF. He'll have a brief feud, a brief program with them, and then he'll move on. I, I don't see any of those guys. It's just not their time. They're just not ready yet. Sammy Guevara, look, I like Sammy Guevara, right? He's not, he's not ready for the world title at this stage. Three years from now, five years, possibly. I just don't see it at this stage. So the other big announcement, uh, was that in August, uh, they are going to be, uh, at Wembley Stadium in London, England. Uh, so, uh, John Lee, we will be expecting you to be in attendance at the Wembley Stadium show to give us an on-site uh, review. So, Barry Rose, you have four months. You have to build a main event that you can sell to the audience in London and internationally. Four months build up. What's your main event going to be? And tell me how you're going to do it. What I thought when I was watching last night was, and, and I, I would assume I wasn't the only one, and I, I thought that maybe the big announcement was going to be Punk, 
But you texted me today and you said, what do you think about Punk versus Omega up top? They'll play on the real life issues. Will that sell out? And I think it would. I think I would up that, maybe make that a six-man tag match, maybe put the Bucks and Omega versus FTR and Punk, something like that. I And I don't know this for a fact, but I don't know the last time the WWE ran in England. And, uh, I think it's been several years. I know that they pulled out of the, uh, the UK NXT deal that they had. And I think it's going to be a European version now as they're retooling this. So I'm thinking that fans in the UK are starved for American style wrestling that it almost doesn't matter who you're going to have on this card. With that, the caveat being, look, don't, don't fucking put Jungle Boy, uh, in the main event. And I, I really hate the fact that I'm picking up Jungle Boy this episode because I don't hate the guy whatsoever, but I, I think they need to have a good main event. But I also wonder, is the true draw just having professional wrestling back in the UK? So with that, I think we both would agree having CM Punk in your main event is probably going to draw a lot of people. So that's a fair point. Uh, the other thing I was thinking about was, uh, you, you may be right about the, uh, you know, the, the need for, uh, uh, wrestling by the British wrestling fans and the fans in the entirety of the UK. Does that mean that you need to have someone with a British, uh, background, someone from there? And that led me to believe. Do we have Will Ospreay featured on this card in a very meaningful role? Yeah, I think the only issue I run into that is that uh, in, in this side of the pond, Will Ospreay doesn't mean a whole lot. Certainly does to the smart fans. Uh, you're in, yeah, but you're not you're not community. selling to. I, no, I mean, I, on on a you know the pay per view basis, you're trying to sell uh, something right. to the fans, but. If you want to fill up one, you don't want to go there and, and, you know, have it be the great American bash at, uh, you know, um, veteran stadium or RFK stadium, like the, you know, they did where there was like, you know, 1500, 2000 people. You want the stadium to be fucking packed. So you, I think, you know, much in the way that Vince credit words do put Davy boy in with Brett and you had the British guy coming in to fight for the world title. So I wonder whether or not having Will Ospreay on the card. Uh, you know, in, in a meaningful either main event or semi main event as a guy that's a local, you know, I say local, a guy that's, you know, from England that can sell this card to the fans there to fill up the stadium. Uh, that's kind of the way I, I mentioned on that. So, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, punk and Omega or, you know, punk and the, uh, FTR against the Bucks and Omega as your possible main event. So who are we not mentioning here, Barry? Yeah, we're not mentioning MJF. So, you know, if you put MJF in a main event role, is that somebody that's going to be a big enough draw to the British fans to fill up Wembley Stadium? I don't think so. I, yeah, that's I, that. I, I yeah. got real concerns about that, too. I definitely uh, don't think so. I like the Will Ospreay deal, and I, I think if I think if I was going to do that, I would probably begin that now. I wouldn't wait, you know, a week before. Uh, trying to figure it out, but I would try to get Will Ospreay over with American fans because as you said, you want to have Wembley Stadium sold out. You know, it's good. It, what a great visual, obviously. But the other aspect is you need to have buy rates in the U.S. And I'm not sure Will Ospreay maybe is the best person on the AEW roster. You know, if he was to join AEW, I just don't know if he's enough to sell tickets in this country. However, maybe you pair him against somebody who is as well. 
So the next question I have is, do you think this is going to be, because we're trying to sell an, uh, uh, a show to an international audience, do you reach out uh, for the hot tag and have New Japan send over some of their guys to fill out the card? Or we've mentioned many times that AEW has a very full roster. Is this strictly an AEW-only show other than maybe getting a guy like Osprey? No, I, I would try to incorporate, uh, New Japan. I would, I would lean on any and everyone that I could. Yeah. So if, if, again, I, I would look at some of these Lucha guys, Commander, Roosh, uh, and I think Roosh is full time in AEW, but, uh, you know, it, El, uh, the El Hijo del Vikingo. I would look at these guys as well and I'd bring them over, but ultimately, I think fans are going to want to see any type of pro wrestling coming from the States. But I, I think to have a true impact, maybe that's the, the, not the right word to use, Jeff. But to no, have it's a, only Javorsky that watches that. Yeah, it's true. I, I think you need to have you need to have a, you need to make a statement, and you know I think they really need to look at bringing in. I think Osprey is a great choice. I think I would also maybe lean on local legends in that country. You know, I, I don't know who's still alive. Was it was Tony? Was it Tony St. Clair that was doing stuff with NXT? Uh, he I was doing stuff you. with NXT UK at, at one. I think it was Tony St. Clair, and I think he was their figurehead commissioner. But you know, if you've got anybody over there that is a link to uh, the glory days of British wrestling, I would lean on them as well. I would lean on any and everybody if it was up to me. So my last question about this, what do you suppose the odds are knowing the, uh, you're going to like this word, Barry, you ready? The Machiavellian nature of Vincent K. McMahon. You like that, huh? It sounds sounds very professional. Big words. That's what a, do you suppose the Brian odds? Solomon says on his show, Machiavelli. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What do you suppose the odds are that the WWE is going to run a show in London within a week of the stadium show for AEW? Hmm. In the old days, I would have said that's the way that they operate. So absolutely. I don't know if that is going to happen now. I think definitely a few years ago. I, I don't know how they're viewing this. I don't know. I think there is. I don't know. I don't want to say there's cooperation between the two companies. I don't think that's the right term, but I don't think this is trying to fuck each other at every turn, as we saw with maybe WWF and everybody else. I, I, it seems like they're focusing amongst themselves. And, uh, you know, and I, one thing Cody Rhodes brought up last night, you could see it, Cody Rhodes. Tony Khan brought up, he mentioned Cody's name when he yes, was talking about that all-in pay-per-view that was the genesis and essentially the uh, the foundation of AEW. He said Cody Rhodes outright. Cody Rhodes just main-evented, you know, one of the biggest wrestling events in the history of pro wrestling. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I don't think I, – I, I think I could see Vince trying to do this, but I don't know how quickly this this also happens, you know. But I guess he does have four months to try to make it happen. So speaking of events, oh, in the news lately, our old friend Vince is back, Barry. Yeah. Uh, Does this uh, not uh, end well for for events here at some point? Uh, Is there going to be backlash? Because, you know, I will say that, uh, among other things, you know, the, the people that are just like, oh, fuck, you know. Uh, my friend, uh, friend of the show, Craig Halleck, 
Uh, he posted, well, I guess my Mondays and Fridays opened up now. Uh, so, uh, Barry, have your Mondays and Fridays now opened up? Uh, <laughs> they've been open for a little while. Even during the Triple H booking reign in the WWE, I still wasn't turning in. There are certain things that I might seek out. And I will say I actually watched Raw. Didn't watch it on Monday, but I watched it Tuesday morning. I hit the fast forward. And uh, for the most part, it was a forgettable show. Roman Reigns has it. And I got to admit, I really do like seeing him. Uh, the main event, which turned into a Brock Lesnar just destroying Cody Rhodes. I don't know. Did I really care anymore? I've seen Brock do this to 10 guys in the last five, six, seven, eight, nine years that he's been around. It, it held no interest to me. Barry, right now we are going to talk a little James Bond, most underrated characters. Are you ready to go, my man? This is a, an action-packed episode here. Huh? It really is. We We try to give back to the people, Barry. I think we're succeeding with this. Man, James Bond and... WrestleMania main events, AEW talk. What else could you ask for, Jeff? Well, I think what you could ask for, Barry, what? is a quick little Florida man or not edition. Ooh, did you see what I did there, my man? I did. Nice segue. Thank you. I am the king of segues, as you well know. Barry, here is the headline. A limited number of Florida man stories this week. <clears throat> headline reads, Barry, 78-year-old woman accused of bank robbery for the third time, Barry. Ooh, wow. she is quite the criminal out there. Uh, let's see. Uh, she's accused of robbing a bank on Wednesday. It's not the first time. Bonnie Gooch. That's a great name, isn't it? Bonnie the Gooch. Gooch. The Gooch. Uh, is accused of the robbery of a, a financial bank three years ago at age 75 when she was just a spring chicken, Barry. Oh, she, she was yeah, accused of robbing, uh, accused of robbing a different bank. Uh, in the 2020 robbery, Gooch was, well, it was in the middle of COVID, so she wore her mask to her benefit, Barry. She was charged with stealing and convicted, but her sentence was suspended, and she was ordered to supervise probation, which expired in November of 2021. Incidentally, the latest accusation comes 46 years after another Gooch conviction. According to the 2020 criminal complaint, she was convicted of bank robbery in California in 1977. Her arrest happened only a few hundred yards from, oh, the first bank that she, or I'm sorry, the second bank that she had uh, robbed. So, uh, so said uh, the manager of Guido's Pizza Place. <laughs> I saw two police cars pull up to the bank. I was driving into work and the girl was getting out and I was like, what the heck? An old lady? Uh, police chief Thomas Wright said, obviously it was a tense situation, but when the hands of an elderly woman come out of the car and that's who's driving the suspect vehicle, it's a little shocking. Barry Rose, Florida woman or not? That sounds very shocking, too. The gooch. I'm going to say no for some reason. And why is it that bank robbers tend to always focus on banks, too? Like, you, you know, it isn't like, oh, they're a bank robber slash arsonist. You know, they're always they always seem focused just Didn't on Didn't the banks. Clash have a song called I Want to Be a Bank Robber or Daddy Was a Bank Robber or something like that? Uh, yeah. Getting a little homage to the class here. So, uh, so, uh, you're saying not Florida? I'm going to say California, not Florida. Well, in that case, you'd be wrong, Barry, because Pleasant Hill, Missouri, the show me state oh. is where the gooch is from. The gooch. Barry, our last Florida man or not story. Well, you know, Barry it was the holiday, uh, yesterday at the time we we're recording this, a little Easter action. And Barry, the headline reads Easter egg hunt 
devolves into a hammer fight. I hate when that happens, Barry. Oh, You're going on a nice Easter egg hunt, and someone someone inevitably whips out a hammer, okay? Uh, <clears throat> Linda Pearson claims her family gets together often and gets along great. But on Sunday, during the family's Easter gathering, things took a turn for the worse. Oh, get a load of this, Barry. You're going to be shocked by this first line of the next paragraph. All of them were drinking. <laughs> That's shocking, Barry. Uh, I'm not going to lie. They had too much alcohol and food and stuff out there, said Pearson. Several of the adults hid eggs so that the kids could go on an Easter egg hunt. One of the eggs hidden had $8 inside. Wow. When one child found the prize egg, an argument erupted. He got mad and said that she had cheated and showed the girls where the egg was so that they had the money. Pearson's stepsister, uh, sister, Annette Pearson, is behind bars charged with ag assault. Lisa Pearson struck another family member in the head with a hammer after she claimed that he slapped her. Barry Rose, a hammer coming in into the uh, Easter egg hunt. What do you say, Florida woman or not? I'll tell you what, nothing if not timely, these these Florida man stories. Um, truly, truly they are. Yeah, considering that we're 24 hours removed from Easter. So I'm going to say with the first one being the show me state. Interesting as well. Wasn't Jeff Gaylord from Missouri? Jeff Gaylord. No, no, I know exactly you're talking. Oh, you know what? I was confusing him with Del Wilkes. Uh, yes, Jeff Gaylord was from Missouri, as a matter of fact. Yeah, noted uh, bank robber and professional wrestler. Again, we're bringing up the Clash song. I want to be yeah. a bank robber. Go ahead. And just recently passed away. That's interesting. I'm going to say this one is from the state of Florida. I'm surprised that you did not bring up the song, uh, If I Had a Hammer. Uh, you know, cause that was, oh, uh, yeah. That was you know what I would time do, right, if I did. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so you said Florida? I'm going to say Florida, yeah. Your one for one rose as this one took place in Jerry Lawler's hometown of Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, you know, Bear, it has been a hot moment since we visited one of my all time favorite movie franchise. Barry, it's time to talk about James Bond. Are you ready, my friend? Oh, sure. We have a top 10 list related to James Bond. The list, courtesy of the website Movie Web. It is James Bond's top 10 most underrated characters in franchise history ranked. All right. Barry, who is your all-time favorite? Uh, We're talking outside of James himself. But uh, when you think of a great character in a James Bond movie, going back some almost 60 years at this point, Barry, holy shit, does that make me feel old? Who's a a character you just went, ah, that was a fucking great character? So one that stuck with me because I was at the – this was the age where – I was, uh, I guess I was understanding James Bond. And when the movie Live and Let Die came out, it was, I, I saw the movie and then I actually, if I recall correctly, I, my parents took me and a group of my friends for my birthday to see the movie again. And I, I don't know why I had to see it twice, but I remember the character. Uh, a great cast, by the way, the lovely Jane Seymour, who still, I, almost 50 years later, looks almost identical as what she looked like in the movie. But there were two characters, one played by Yafet Kodo and the other played by Jeffrey Holder, that really ah. stood out to me. <laughs> and it was Jeffrey Holder who a lot of people – and I'll tell you Jeffrey Holder's story, by the way. Jeffrey Holder – Server uh, manager. Uh, manager. Okay. But Jeffrey Holder – was also, he was the seven up guy, if I'm correct. 
he would right he would yes, do he that was, and, would, yes. and he did the laugh that you just did that was part of the gimmick and then he was in uh Annie he he played whatever the that character in, in Annie uh a large african i think is what the character was so uh that's what he played but jeffrey holder in real life was a very gentle man that was uh in a relationship with another man and came into my restaurant fairly frequently and was a very gentle, soft-spoken, and polite guy. Like, he never really played this on any of his characters that in movies and TV, but in real life, hushed tones, gentle, well-dressed, just, just a wonderful human being that I can't say enough about. Yeah, uh, he played, uh, in Limited Light Tie, he played, uh, Baron Samadhi, I think it was his, uh, that's name. what it, and that's what, what's his name? Uh, shit. What was it? The Godfather. That was, a, he did a character. So Papa Shango, right? Papa Shango yes. was a takeoff, but in, and I want to say it was global or world class, but in Texas, he actually played, I think, the same character, Baron Samadia, or whatever. Or Samadhi, yeah. It. Yeah, he actually played that, which was a takeoff of that character. Yeah, no, he was, it was a great character. Uh, Julius Harris, the actor, played the, uh, the guy with the, the hook for an arm. That was yes. very good. Uh, then there was the, uh, the rather rotund black guy who played, I think his name was, uh, Whisper or something like that because he talked like this. Uh, that was the guy that got shot while he was sitting on the couch or they shot the couch and the, the couch uh, filled up with air. Yeah, there was a lot of iconic great scenes in that. So, uh, no, Jeffrey Holder also an absolute legend on Broadway. Uh, a legendary, uh, actor and, uh, I think, uh, he was, he was a dancer also, but, uh, yeah, I, I think was, actually yeah. he's more iconic on Broadway than he is in film. Anyway, starting off on this list at number 10, and I'm going to say this is a bad start to this list. I love talking uh -oh. James Bond, but at number 10, when you think of iconic, and I know this is iconic characters, but it's also underrated characters. So it's not like you're going to see, you know, like, uh, the main villain. I don't expect, you know, this will be somebody who was sort of low key made the movie better. Barry, from uh, for your eyes only, the character. Do you remember Luigi Ferrara? No, I have Luigi, no idea. No. Luigi Ferrara was the character, the Italian sort of go-between, who introduced uh, Roger Moore's James Bond to a uh, Julian Glover, who was sort of the lead heel. He was the go-between, the Italian guy, and he was kind of a bumbling oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, okay. agent for the Italian, uh, I guess, CIA or secret police or whatever. He was comedy, though, wasn't he? Yes, that, and that's yeah. exactly and – and the thing that gets me is, for your eyes only, and I've said this before, is probably the most serious of all – of Roger Moore's James Bond, uh, you know, uh, movies. Uh, and because, uh, you know, the, the go home for the, uh, one of the go home scenes for the main, uh, henchman is where Roger Moore kicks the car and sends the guy over the cliff. And he says, this is for Ferrara. And he, uh, he's, in other words, he's getting revenge for this guy's death by the henchman. But I, I don't see, as you're starting off a list of these great uh, underrated characters, and the history of James Bond, I'm sorry, Luigi Ferrara is not the guy that is like a sort of, oh, yeah, oh, that's the guy I think of. So, yeah, I think that's a, a definite miss on this list, Barry. What do you see? Oh, I, I, absolutely. He's he, he's also kind of forgettable, too. Like, it's yes. not, yeah. yeah, it's not, again, comedy, but he is, yeah, I, that's, oh, that's weird. 
as opposed to number nine, Barry, hmm, how, you know, ironic that number nine, Barry, the list shows Baron Somedy. Who, who figured it, Barry? It's like almost <laughs> like you knew. Uh, right? I did not send you this list, by the way, but no, you there are, not. you know, yeah, I yeah, had no is, idea. Yeah, there is, uh, so many, hey, we didn't even mention the scene where he is, uh, kicked into the box full of poisonous snakes. Yep. Uh, there's the scene where he he comes out from underneath the ground. Uh, Bond shoots him in the head. Remember, half his skull goes away, and then you see his eyes look up at the missing part of his skull. That was like pretty friggin' intense shit. But uh, great, great character, great actor, Jeffrey Holder, yes. So at number eight, Barry, then we have from another movie that, ah, you know, at some point, Roger Moore, his movies stopped being really good to me. Uh, the earlier, uh, Roger Moore, James Bonds were better than the later ones. So at number eight, it's Octopussy, the, uh, the character played by Maud Adams. What do you think? Yeah, that, that was a solid character. And I, I think that's, you know, cause Roger Moore gets beaten up a lot, especially in hindsight. We were young. So for me, it, I didn't pick up on it until later years, but it was less about even Roger Moore at times. It was more about the movies. And, uh, I think Octopussy, you know, just really obvious what they were doing there. And, uh, was this the one oh, that was Moonraker? I was going to say, which one where they, he went to no, space? This is, this is the one shit. where they went to, uh, they went to India. Yeah. Yeah. I, and actually, it's funny because one of the, one of James Bond's, uh, the guys assisting James Bond was, uh, the tennis player, uh, VJ, VJ Garolitis. Uh, no, that's Vetus Garolitis. It's, oh. uh, maybe VJ Armitrage. Yeah, so, uh, but yeah, it was like this tennis player is like, uh, helping James Bond. So, Barry, let me throw a little trivia at you. Maude Adams, first of all, beautiful woman. She was a well-known model. Yes. What is, uh, in the history of the Bond franchise, what is the one notable thing, besides she's a beautiful woman, what's the one notable thing about Maude Adams that no other actress or actor can, uh, state in a James Bond movie? She has both a penis and a vagina. That's a good guess, but you'd be eh, incorrect, oh, sir. This shit. is not the Florida man part of our segment. Oh, okay. No, I got them all. Maude Adams is the only woman to play different female characters slash, you know, Bond girls in two separate films. She was also in The Man with the Golden Gun and wow. in the uh, the title character in Octopussy. That's the kind of trivia you come here for, Barry. I think. Who, who is she sleeping with, Jeff? Well, I don't know. I don't want to All speculate. Right. So, Barry, next at number seven. Someone oh, named a, Broccoli or no? Yeah. <laughs> at <Better>. Number seven <laughs> from the movie GoldenEye, which is a, a very good Pierce Brosnan entry in the James Bond franchise. There was, you know, you, you love the Bond girls that have the, you know, like we mentioned Octopussy, uh, you know, uh, and uh, what was it uh, from uh, Diamonds Are Forever? Hi, I'm Plenty, Plenty O'Toole, uh, named yeah. after your father, no <laughs> doubt. But there came the character in GoldenEye, Xena on a top. Remember the gimmick was that uh, she killed every uh, she killed men by squeezing them with her legs. That apparently yes, she, yes, a lot of uh, you know uh, Kegel exercise Zena on a top. Zena on a top, yes, uh, and uh, no, and, and Braz is like no, no, no more foreplay. Yes, so that was Zena uh, on a top. Did you enjoy her in Golden Eye Bear? I did. Yes, yeah, she was fine. <laughs> that is a great name too. But uh, yeah, she was fine. Somebody in the writing room is working overtime trying to come up with okay. How can we? Co- I, I remember uh, what do you call that was married to uh, Charlie Sheen, uh, Denise Richards. Remember, her name was like uh, something like Christmas Jones or something like that. And yeah, uh, that wasn't quite as good. So uh, uh, number six, Barry, from You Only Live Twice. Oh, it's another Bond girl. This is a great name. Kissy Suzuki. 
That is a an amazing. That's that's like a uh, an all Japan women's name, yes, right? Yes, I, I think she teamed with Riho, <laughs> right? Kissy <laughs> Suzuki and Riho, what a team too! Uh, <laughs> no, Kissy Suzuki, of course, Barry, famously during this uh, movie, she was sleeping with James without the benefit of wedlock, by the way, and oh. the assassin dropped the poison down the uh, the fishing line. Remember, it was supposed to. Uh, Touch the lips of James Bond, and when you smacked your lips, the poison went into your mouth, and James rolled over, that son of a bitch. And uh, poor Kissy went to get a little uh, me time with him, and uh, the poison dropped under her lips. Uh, she smacked her lips and died. James, oh. up, boom, shot the assassin who was on the uh, the rooftop there. Uh, so, yeah, there went Kissy Suzuki, and you only you only live twice, of course, for J- them turning James Bond, Sean Connery, uh, we must make you Japanese. And it's like, yeah, I could see that not going over very well now, Barry. What say you? Yeah, well, you got to remember too. In, in the movie Highlander, he he played a Scottish uh, nobleman or something, <laughs> which literally. See, made you no have sense. to work in those Highlander references. Uh, you know, just I love Highlander like no one's business. But when you've got Sean Connery. Who is Scottish, right? Well, Sean Connery also played a Russian sub commander. So. That's that's right. But but here's the irony: he's he's Scottish, playing a Spaniard in a movie that was based in Scotland, and then you've got Christopher Lambert, who is French, playing the Scotsman, and neither had an accent to match where they were where they were supposed to be from. So that made no sense. I still love the movie, though. It's Somewhere out there, John movie. Lee was completely outraged hearing all that background on this. Good. So, yeah, Kissy Suzuki, though, was a great character. That's uh, great. And James Bond, you only live twice. Now, number five, Barry, from Thunderball. He strikes like Thunderball. It's Fiona or Fiona Volpe. Yes, it's the woman who picks James Bond up on the road and drives very fast, Barry, and then uh, tries to kill him. Do you remember Fiona Volpe, the uh, the henchman for for Largo, the main villain? A little. It's been so many years since I watched this, but uh, what what number does she come in at? She is at number five. Is she so memorable that she should be number four? Well, she was, she might have been the first sort of evil female character in the Bond series. You know, the, the, uh, Dr. No had Ursula Andress, uh, who was like a baby face in the movie. Uh, you had a Goldfinger who, uh, there was the damsel in distress, but there, you know, there, there weren't any like as henchmen or henchwomen that were uh, that were heels. And Fiona Volpe was the first female that played a heel in the Bond series. So that might have made her more memorable. Yeah, I don't, I've ever watched Bond films, as you can tell, Barry. Yeah, exactly. Wow. I just don't really remember that well. But nothing's memorable to uh, to me about her at all. So number four, Barry, from Skyfall. Great, great uh, song, by the way. And uh, That is great. Is that uh, what's her name? It's Adele, right? Yes. Yeah, uh, singing her lungs out. See that you know one thing I, I complain about. You know when you do a Bond theme, you know I want to have your Adele's. I want to have your uh, uh, Shirley Bassey. The the women that could just freak. You know I'm not. I wasn't a huge fan of her. Perfectly understandable if like Whitney Houston had done a Bond song because she has that voice where you can freaking hit those notes. Right. Uh, and you know that's why uh, I'm not a big fan of some of the other people that have done Bond songs. What about uh, but, what about a View to a Kill by Duran Duran? No, no, please don't even get me started uh, on that. Big so. fan. 
Yeah. So at number four, though, uh, part of what happened in Skyfall was they started replacing some of the older cast. And since there had been a death of the actor who played this character, uh, it was the new guy playing Q, the quartermaster in Skyfall. What do you think about that? You know, they're introducing the new character. I know there's a new Monty Penny uh, in the Daniel Craig movies. There's, uh, you know, uh, Dame uh, Judy Lynch. Uh, her character is killed off. And uh, there's a new character of M. So what do you think about these new characters being introduced? Was it long past due? Uh, yeah, I, I guess it was. It's, you know, I, I had no problem with any of these characters being introduced. I, I think, uh, I, I think the future of Bond to me too, with the competition that's out there, where do they go with the Bond series? Who's the new Bond, by the way, Jeff? They have not yet named it. There's a, I know that, uh, Henry, I think it's Cavill, who was in Superman. It was yes. in, uh, one of the, uh, one of the Tom Cruise movies that maybe, I don't know if it was Ghost Protocol or one of the other ones. Uh, but he's, a. uh, you know, a guy that has been, uh, rumored for his, Tom Hardy has been rumored. He's uh, there have been, yeah, there have been some other guys. So, well, uh, wasn't Idris Elba? He was for all, you know, honestly, part of the problem, Idris Elba is a great actor, yeah. but I think at this point he's, Gotta be like 45 years old. And so do you really want to kickstart the franchise with a new bond? It's maybe going to be around for one or two films. I don't know. So at number three, Barry, you are going to want to take the hot tag on this one. Okay. Because I know you remember one of the all time memorable heel runs early in the franchise from Goldfinger. It's Harold Sakata slash Tosh Togo playing odd job. Lord, yes, he is, uh, and I'll tell you what, he, he took the ball and he ran. He wasn't a great professional wrestler, and there's a couple of matches that are out there. There's actually a match. One with Stan Hansen, right? That's the one I was going to say. Yeah. There's a match from Florida against the young Stan Hansen, so that would have been 1973, but he was very smart. He was not a great wrestler by any stretch, not a tall guy. He was kind of, Built like Professor Toru Tanaka, but appeared to be about a foot shorter. So he was a small guy, but very smart because he was able to take that. And everywhere he went, he was billed as odd job. He was, uh, you know, they would, I think they didn't even call him Harold Sakata. I think they just called him odd job Sakata or something like that. And, uh, if you look at his matches, not much happened, but people actually, he sold, he sold tickets. People went to see him. I like it. I, I thought this was a very smart, villain to put in there a very unique villain i liked him and, and i'm sure the wrestling connection you know blurs that but at the same time you know back in those days you weren't seeing villains like that the throwing of the hat using that hat as a yeah, weapon that was a, I that thought, was a great gimmick you know, all question. genius yeah yeah so you know the interesting thing to me is there uh have been wrestlers who have been there people don't remember that peter Maivia was uh one of the villains in You Only Live Twice. He was the guy that uh Bond threw the couch at. <laughs> and, That's right. And just like bounced off his uh his sets. And then uh Batista was in uh one of the last Daniel Craig movies. God, I can't remember which one if it was Spectre or one of the other ones. But and he had a, a great fight scene with Daniel Craig uh, on a train. Uh, that was really good. So yeah, wrestling, there's a wrestling component in, uh, Bond movies, but, uh, yeah, when you think of, uh, great villain or great henchman in the Bond series, one of the first, odd job made such a great impression. And it was funny because, you know, there was the, uh, the scene where they were out on the golf course 
I don't know. This is a, kind of a deep dive on the movie, Barry uh, Goldfinger. But there's a great scene where they're out there, and he's playing his caddy. He's playing uh, Goldfinger's caddy, and Goldfinger hits a shot. And it goes off like you know, off the uh, off into the woods or something like that. And Harold, uh, you know, or Oddjob is like looking for the ball, and then he drops it out of his pocket. And uh, he's like, "Hi, hi!" Of course, he doesn't speak. He just kind of like waves. And uh, Goldfinger goes, "Oh, there's my ball over there." And the uh, caddy that's working with Sean Connery's James Bond says, "I think that." Uh, I think Goldfinger's training him very well because he's cheating. And he goes, well, how do you know that? And he, and he goes, cause I'm standing on the ball that is his. And, uh, so it was, you know, that was a nice little comedic moment, but it's not so comedic as uh, the guy that we mentioned at the top of the list, Ferrara, who was almost kind of buffoonish. This wasn't a buffoon. This is a guy, you know, being, you know, funny in a very smart, intelligent way. Barry, now we move to number two. Barry, were you a fan of Casino Royale? Not not the original one. I'm talking about the one from maybe 10 years ago, Casino Royale. Daniel Craig's first movie. Yeah, actually, I was. I actually was, yes. Well, Casino Royale introduced one of the great uh, heel turns in the history of the franchise as Vesper Lynn uh, turned heel on Daniel Craig after he after she had stolen his heart. Then she ripped it away and... You know, he found out she was playing one side against the other. Vesper Lynn, beautiful British actress, uh, whose name, uh, God, I can't remember. Lou, if you can look up who played Vesper Lynn in Casino Rail. What a great but, name, too, Vesper. Yeah, it's a great that Unlike Christmas yeah. Jones. I can tell you, uh, Eva Green. Thank you, thank you. And she's also in, um, isn't she in Penny Dreadful? I think she's in that show Penny Dreadful also. Uh, but uh, really good actress. But, yeah, you're right. Uh, unlike some of the lame-ass James Bond uh, female character names, Vesper Lynn certainly has a, a little bit of panache to it. Barry. I think that's the first time we've ever used the word panache. Yeah, Vesper, too. Aren't those the uh, those Italian, like, little motor scooter deals? Isn't that a Vesper? Those are Vespas. Vespa. Okay, and I'm calling it Vesper. We, all Vesper? our listeners in Italy right now are mocking you openly, Barry. Ratings dropping in Italy as we speak. Oh, uh, we've lost the Rome crowd. We've uh, lost uh, shit. Subscriptions to Patreon are down. <laughs> there goes the merch agreement we had with the Vatican, too, right? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> We're screwed. Yes, the Pope came through with those T-shirts. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> During Easter, sell the Breaking Cave. <laughs> we, had, we had a the whole Pope, deal. We, the Pope holding up the Breaking Cave Pape T-shirt. <laughs> we had a 60-40 split with the Pope, so That's we're exactly. fucked at this point. Yeah, yeah I fucked up another big deal. We also alienated for all our Catholic listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Who haven't we alienated at this point? <laughs> anyway, oh. so, but Best Berlin, great character, which now bleeds into number one, Barry Rose. Wow. I gotta be honest with you, this is a great character. I don't know if this was the all-time most memorable, underrated character. It's Kareem Bay and from Russia with Love. It's his Ooh. contact in Turkey. Do you remember that, Barry? I do remember that. That's not that's that's pretty good, actually. Yes. Uh uh great story. The actor, I believe, was uh I want to say Pedro Almanderez. Uh, I think it's something like that. Uh very interestingly. During the filming of this movie, he had, I believe, uh, cancer and was, he was dying of cancer, knew he was dying of cancer, but he wanted to film, uh, and get his, uh, his scenes in. So they worked around and, you know, how tragic is they, they knew he was dying. And this guy, you know, gritted his teeth, uh, went through the scenes, so many memorable scenes. There, there's a, one of my favorite scenes is, uh, when, um, he go there and everybody that works for him is like his son. In the movie, that's like one of the inside jokes uh, in the movie. But uh, he, he goes there 
uh, and he's in his office and his girlfriend is like trying to get him to, you know, like, oh, come on, let's go to bed. And uh, she's going, Karim Ali Bey, Karim Ali Bey, come to bed. Come to bed. He's like, oh, fine, fine. You, you, you always exhaust me. And he gets up and he goes to bed with his girlfriend and get ready to take her to a party time. And right then his desk uh, blows up because the uh, the damn Russians, uh, you know, those commie bastards, they've uh, put a bomb in his desk. And if it wasn't for his girlfriend wanting a little on the side during the afternoon, or Karim Ali Bey would have been killed. Great character beer. So you're telling me that the guy that played Karim Ali Bey was really Hispanic? Uh, I, be- I believe so. Pedro Ramos? Is that what you said his no, name No, no. Uh, let me- hold on. I'm going to look it up. It's I believe it's printed Pedro Almanderas, but I'm going to look. Please continue your discussion. Doesn't sound Middle Eastern or, uh, yeah, Ali Bey, but, uh, yeah. Well, you know, I don't know if you know this, Barry. There have been, uh, you know, there are characters that have played Indians in Western who what? weren't actually Indians. <laughs> I won't even get it, but I was watching a movie on uh, Pedro Armandiris. That's his name. And he's no longer with us, obviously. No, he died in 1963, like right after the filming of this movie. I'm gonna, gotcha. Barry, I'm gonna get see if I can get some background on this guy. All right. So uh, why you're he's from that, Mexico? Yeah. Mexico. Well, you know what? And that Big was different. Santo, El Santo fan, probably. Yeah. Back in the '60s, that was pretty common. It's common up until I think the '90s. But so I have a trivia a trivia question for you. What movie is really famous for a character who, in real life, was dying during the filming, and I believe died before the movie was even released? Can you give me any kind of hint? Like it's, a, it's of- a horror movie, and it was a sequel. Um. Okay, the only thing that pops into mind, Poltergeist 2. There you go. Ding, oh. ding. You got it. So it was the guy. Yeah. His, real, his real name was Jordan Charney, and he's the guy. He wears all black. They're going to get you. The oh, guy, I thought I thought you were going with the uh, the lady that played the uh, the psychic because I yeah you know, the Rubenstein yeah that's like one of those movies where like so many people affiliated with Poltergeist end up dying yeah yeah they call that's it a, the Poltergeist curse but yeah that's if you believe in that kind of shit anyways this guy was dying during the filming and he looked like he was dying of cancer like he was emaciated he was essentially a skull. And uh, everyone was freaked out by him. Turns out he never even saw the premiere. He was long dead by the time the movie came out. He was uh, stage four cancer. It was taking place. So there, there's been a couple others that have been like that. Very sad, though. But I in this movie, I don't think you can tell he's sick, though, right? So here's what the IMDb tells us uh, about uh, Pedro Armanderas. He found out he had cancer during the production of From Russia with Love. The scheduled production was altered so he could finish his scenes in a timely fashion. He wanted to finish the movie so his family could receive his salary. From Russia with Love was released 11 months after his passing. Very tragically, he ended up killing himself by gunshot. Oh. Uh, so then that's that's horrible. But – uh, speaking of movies that were cursed, he was one of, oh, my God, Barry, 91 people, along with John Wayne, Susan Hayward, and Agnes Moorhead, whose cancer was attributed to their exposure to radioactivity while working on the film The Conqueror from yeah. 1956. But, uh, yeah. and uh, about that, yeah. So apparently one of his real sons, uh, Pedro Jr., uh, also appeared alongside uh, his dad in uh, in From Russia with Love. So anyway, you know, but uh, I don't know that he would have been the 
first guy that I would have thought of as a great underrated character, but the more I think about it, he's probably a really damn good choice, Barry. And, you know, a very tragic ending. The guy was a, a very, very good actor, and he was incredible in this role. Yeah, what a shame, too. I never, this is good trivia that you don't get anywhere. They're not talking about this shit on Stick to Wrestling. You can I, bet your ass to that. Yeah, my yeah. Yeah, we're definitely, we're definitely bringing the goods with this, but, uh, yeah, that's a shame. I, I'm actually going to have to go back and rewatch this film now and pay attention to his character a little bit more. All right, Barry, we have rounded the turn and we are heading home on another episode jam packed as always of Breaking Cafe with Battery and Barry. Episode 288 is now in the books. Barry Rose, are you about ready to ring the bell and call it a night? This one just flew right by. It's like we just started recording just a few minutes ago, and we're already done. It's it's incredible when you're having fun what happens. But looking, we we talked about next week. We talked about the match of the week, which would be Los Pastores. Uh, so I'm excited to be able to discuss that one. But uh, yeah, you know, you know, you know who's definitely going to be listening next week? Kevin Orcut, Jesus Salas Rodriguez. Because we've mentioned him now. So he's going to be like, son of a bitch, I want to hear what they say about me. So, uh, yes, we look forward to that. But we had a good time talking about the Roman Reigns, uh, Edge, and Daniel Bryan match. It was good stuff. I'm going to post a link to that. So I hope you get a chance to check it out. So that being said, I will say that Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry, a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. They are so proud of us. They can't even believe it, Barry. For our producer, Sweet Lou Kippelman, my uh, co-host, Barry Rose, I am Jeff Bowdrin. Sometimes they call me the booker. Wait! Don't cue the music yet, Lou, because I have not forgotten my buddy, Gunny. I miss you, Gunny, and I love you. And now, Lou, you can cue the go-home music. See you next week, folks. <laughs>